Due to coronavirus, events discussed in this podcast may have been postponed. Good news, though, you can get tickets to watch a special online preview of the film mentioned in this podcast at the Melbourne Documentary Film Festival, which is running between the 30th of June to the 15th of July. Hi guys, welcome back to Having a Gab. I am Gab, of course, and I am here today with my very good friend, Josh Belafonte. Did I say that right, Belafonte? Yeah, that'll do. Belafonte? Yeah, it works too. How do I say it? I, I mean, I don't really know. Yeah, look, I've just been, like, yeah, winging it since the day we met. I think Belafonte will do. Belafonte? Yeah. I'm into it. Um, it's nice. So, Josh, I have actually mentioned you quite a few times on my podcast, not that you've less listened. Um, Is it burning? Yeah, uh, three episodes, and I think I've mentioned you in all three of them. In the first, in my Inception, like the trailer, I uh, I thanked you, in fact, for the name because oh my you goodness. did coin the name. I, I yeah, I think I did. I had a whole series of like Instagram posts for like having a habit of this. All of like I think three months where I would just having a having a dog, having a yes. having a soup, having, having a, a beer. and I just have a photo of whatever I was doing at that moment. Mm. Um, it was yeah, I guess it was uh, my genius. And uh, I think it was like you came up here. What happened? So Josh crashes with me a lot because he's um doing his PhD at Newcastle Uni. And, um, Thank you for letting me crash on your couch. Oh, God. It's any time. Oh, in the bed, you mean? <laughs> Not with me. Uh, awkward. Yeah. Um, anyway, so we tend to, like, fall into these really intense discussions where we don't stop talking until, like, 1, 2, 3 a.m. And um, I think you were like, look, we're having a gab. And I was like, oh, I like Yeah, I that. think that actually was how this all happened. Yeah. Um, and now we're sitting here and you've got these, like, amazing microphones <laughs> in yeah, and it's a like amazing. It actually happened. Uh, yeah, you've actually got a amazing light in front of you right now. Uh, it's such um, better like lighting for this skin too. No shadows, wow. none of it. Anyway, so Josh is a documentary filmmaker, um, amongst many other things, photographer, editor extraordinaire, lots of stuff. Um, You're too kind. I know, look, I'm just being honest. And he's just released his first teaser for his upcoming feature film, The World's Best Film. And uh, well, the film's finished, isn't it? And it's and if you can believe that that's the title, I yeah, I do because I've seen, I've seen it and you, I yeah. believe that it is the world's best film. You're too kind. A bit on the nose there. Mm, a little bit, a <laughs> little bit, a little bit. Um, so why don't you like tell us a bit about the world's best film? Yeah, what for sure. What makes it the world's best film? Well, I think the first thing to say is you'll obviously have to see the film to work that out. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you're probably sitting here going, "There's no way that." that a film called The World's Best Film could, in fact, be The World's Best Film. So I think it invites a certain level of, of flippancy um, right off the bat. And I guess it all started about five years ago, um, if you want me to kind of go yeah, that far tell back. Yeah, tell us. Tell um, us. Inception yeah. to here, you know. started about five years ago. I was uh, kind of questioning what I should do with my life. And I was studying to become a lawyer, actually, um, amongst all the other things that you just mentioned. Um, because yes, you a law degree as well. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. So I kind of grew up in an immigrant family. Um, you know, grandparents came from Poland, you know, post-World War II, and was always raised with the whole idea of like, oh, you gotta, you got to put bread on the table, Josh. Yeah. I don't know why they're, now they're like American boxes. But, um, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and yeah, why, why not? That's up. right. So, um, you know, you're always raised with this idea of like, you've got to do something noble and, and, and make an honest living. And so I guess, you know, I, I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll go be a lawyer. And my mum had always wanted, wanted to be a lawyer her whole life. But, 
you know, she changed her preferences when she, I think she was about like 18 or 19. She decided she was going to become a social worker and she wanted to change the world that way. Um, when she was 18, she had this whole idea that she wanted to change the world. She wanted to bring something, you know, else into the world. So I think my whole life I've kind of been inspired by that. Um, and part of the reason why I wanted to do law was, you know, altruistically to also try and like try and do something good in the world yeah. and, um, you know, whether in human rights or whatever. And then, you know, I worked as a lawyer very briefly and, from what I did see, you know, um, it just, I realized without going too in detail, it wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, but that decision was actually made for me to a degree. I was actually in the middle of a mediation class in, uh, 2014. Um, I was studying, doing my practical legal training to become a solicitor and, um, basically received a phone call that kind of changed my life a little bit. Um, I'd been spending so much time studying and I hadn't really been making time to pay attention to some things that were going on in, um, in my body. I was doing a lot of long distance running and one day I couldn't breathe inwards after doing the city to surf. And I was right. like, okay, I must've just overdone it. I'll go to the doctor, gave me some medication, gave me some like, you know, um, some pills. I said, Oh, you must have whooping cough. And I'm like, okay, sure. I guess I have whooping yeah. cough. Um, and I was like doing this, this law study. So I was like, I don't have time to go to the doctor again. I'll just take the pills and it'll be fine. Yeah. And two, three weeks later, I was still coughing a lot. And like, I didn't know what was wrong. And I stopped running. And I, I couldn't do as much exercise. And I decided to just go into the doctor one day and said, okay, I think I need to do an, a chest x-ray. Yeah. And they sat there going, you don't have to do that. You're, you're like 23. Yeah. You know, that's, that's insane. Just have some more pills. Um, of course. You'll be fine. I don't know why I'm now an infomercial for pills. <laughs> pills. What ails you? Um, and yeah, to cut, it, to cut that kind of story short, I went in for a chest X-ray um, against the doctor's orders and um, went after hours for the X-ray. So you always was... get a second opinion as well. Yeah. And um, yeah, basically uh, did the X-ray and then straight away um, the lady was like, you know, joking with me, the radiographer, and then she kind of just shifted yeah, right. and I remember this now in hindsight and she just kind of stopped everything. She stopped joking with me and she kind of said, okay, Josh, we've got to like, uh, we've got to do a, a CT scan now. And I was oh like, what's a CT scan? She's like, oh, don't worry. You just need to do it right now. Yeah. And I mean, I was, well, I was really all I was thinking about in that moment. I was like, oh my God, I got to do this law paper. I got to do this. I got so many assignments. Oh, I got to do this for that person. And I was like, oh, what's a CT scan? Anyway, went in there, did it, strapped me up. It's like a scene from, you know, um, Breaking Bad or something, just going in and getting all this dye injected into your body and you're yep, like, what's so happening? And then the next the day, went, <clears throat> exactly. Next day, went to class and yeah, I was in this mediation class and my phone was ringing and it was an unknown number. I was like, I guess I have to take this. Um, stood up in the class, took the phone outside. The lecturer looked at me like, what are you doing? Getting out of a tute, an intensive tute, by the way. And then, yeah, I just got this phone call and the doctor just said straight away, oh, hi, Josh. Yeah, look, um, there's no easy way to say this, but oh um, you've got a lump in your lungs. We, we actually don't know what it is, um, but whatever you're doing right now, you, sh you need to just call an ambulance. Oh my god! And you need to come to this address. Um, and in that moment, I was sitting there going, "Like, I'm so, what? what? Yeah." Um, oh, I got and, so bad and, right um, now. Yeah, I mean, the whole world kind of goes silent when that happens. Like, you kind of just go, "Like, what?" And you don't really understand what happens. And I had to call my mom, and I had to tell my mom, "Like, um, yeah." Did you call the ambulance first? No, I called my mom okay, first. Okay, another life, another thing. <clears throat> yeah, so it's good um, I'm not alone. And I was just like, "Oh, hey, mom, I just got this call," you know. Etc. And she thought I was joking. 
so then she called my other doctor. Anyway, this whole thing just spiraled. And then basically, I didn't know what to do. So I just went back to the law class and I sat down and the lady, the, the, the teacher was still lecturing and she's looking at me, giving me death stares. And I'll, I'll never forget, she was just in the middle of a speech and she was saying, the worst mediation I've ever had in my life. Oh, it was the death of me. It was the worst oh. thing that ever happened to me. And I'm sitting there going, and and just the whole world is just, was changed. just like was, saving yeah. Private Ryan on the beach or something and just everything's gone silent. And then I, I, was, I was sitting opposite this girl and I'll never forget, she looked at me and she could see that I was a little bit out of it and she just stopped me as we were about to do some group work and she just said, those Vietnamese spring rolls you had for lunch, where did you get them? They look delicious. <laughs> and I just looked at her and I stared at her and I must have been maybe five, ten seconds and I just said, I've got to go. Yeah, and she's wow. like, what do you mean? Like you're in this intensive thing. If you leave now, you won't be able to become Pass. a solicitor. Yeah. Um, and I said, I've got to go. And then I went downstairs and I just took my books and I went to the admin people and I said, I said to them, uh, I, I need you to call me an ambulance. And the guy just looked at me like, like he looked at me and then he looked behind the counter and he just looked at his friend and he was like, a, a, what? <laughs> like, and I was like, I need you to call me an ambulance. And they're like, uh, if you leave now, you won't be able to graduate and you're not going to get your money back. And I was like, I, I don't care. Like, can you just call me? And they didn't actually take me for real, I think. And so in the end, in the end, I just, uh, yeah, I got a taxi. <laughs> I just they like didn't call you an ambulance. No, they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't believe. Well, you what... just encapsulated the whole legal profession in well, a nice little nutshell. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, I don't. I, like, I don't. There's no disrespect meant to any anyone in that. Um, it's I mean, ma- total disrespect. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, spoken like a true lawyer. Uh, no. <laughs> um, the, the first part, but. Um, it was just like a whirlwind and I just remember I, I got the taxi. I went straight in to see a lung specialist. Um, you know, my parents met me there. They were also like, just like, what the hell is Did this? I know you at this point? I don't think so. Yeah. Wow. So this was, uh, this is about six years ago. Right. Um, yeah, okay. Or a bit, yeah. A bit I long. I actually, it was a bit longer. Actually, it was like, I should probably have my facts right. If you give me a sec, I'll tell you exactly when it don't was. Don't worry about it. Like, it's close enough. Um, no, no, I, now I kind of want to know. Okay, all right. You can just, just pause things for a second. Uh, no, I actually can't. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> and we'll sit here and wait pensively. That's fine. Just wait waiting, pensively. Waiting, guys, waiting. Um, no, I might also add, Josh has got a killer headache right now. Um, yeah, I'm doing really well to just be, like, standing. I'm kind of thinking I'm going to be, like, vomiting any... Also, um, like, we've been planning to do this podcast since January. Um, yeah. And we're finally here in the ripe old month of March, and it won't I be coming out for it. another three months, so... It's the anniversary of when we first said we were going to do it. Literally. Um, ah, I don't know. It was like a while ago. Yeah. Um, I should probably know that. Um, no, now I, I met know. you at 25 and I knew that like at that point when I met you, you were like fully filmmaker. You like, you weren't um, like, I knew that you, like, that's what you were doing. You weren't, like, you hadn't made a film. Like, you hadn't made this film. No. But I, you, yeah. you were like, that was what you're working in. I'm just pulling up a key. You didn't mention law to me when I met you. Um. Okay, so just as a side note, yeah. before we get to that, the law stuff. Yeah, it was on the 9th of April, 2014. So okay. it's almost um, the six-year anniversary yeah. of everything um, today. But th- this all happened actually in March um, 2014. Oh, wait, probably. so it's – wow, okay. It's actually six years since I probably so got So it's my, our anniversary and the anniversary of that. That's like – and it's Friday it's the 13th yeah. soon as well. So I, just okay, all kinds of dark. cosmic weird stuff yep. is happening. Um, it. Yeah, where were we? Yeah, got the taxi – um, Lung specialist. Uh, yeah. Um, straight in to see the specialist. Um, 
he sat there saying, yeah, Josh, um, your breathing capacity is actually at like 30%. I can see here that you've actually got a collapsed lung and you've had a collapsed lung for a while apparently. Um, and uh, he got on the phone. He said, okay, well, we need to do a biopsy. And I remember being that moment going like, I had all these questions and I also couldn't think straight. Um, and I was so thankful to have my parents there as well because they kind of just helped with, um, you know, coming to terms with what the hell is going on. Yeah. And I'll never forget the conversation with, with the lung specialist there. He was sitting there and he just goes, um, he's on the phone to the biopsy person. He said, oh, hi there, Dr. So-and-so. Yes, I've got a young man here with a uh, rather large um, – growth we don't know what it is it seems to be lodged between Wait, the heart this and conversation in front of you yes because oh. they had to book it in like then yeah, and there right. and this this specialist put off a flight somewhere to some conference because this was like so um you know insane yeah. um and i'm very lucky that i had private health health insurance that yes. allowed me to just go straight straight through um and uh yeah he said you know i've got a gentleman here uh, with a rather large tumor between his lungs and hearts needs um, so, um, we need to get him in stat to do a biopsy. Um, yeah. And, you know, at that point we asked like, what options are there? And he said, well, let me put it this way. Are you studying? And I said, yeah, I'm studying. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm studying to become a lawyer. And he said, okay, do you have a job? I'm like, yeah, I'm teaching and I'm making films. He's like, okay, cool. Um, well, the short answer is over the next few months, you're going to have a lot of people around you that are going to be trying to make you as comfortable as possible and to work out what's going on. You should probably stop your studies you should probably quit your job. Wow. Um, stop doing much. Wow. Don't run. Don't walk upstairs. Um, if you've got any commitments, just stop them and sit very still. Oh, my God. It was something – I'm paraphrasing, but it was Perfect, around then. And, yeah. and I was sitting there in that moment going, um, what does this mean? And he said, well, it probably means surgery. And in that moment, I was like, oh, my God, going through another surgery because um, I had surgery before um, on a separate issue. Um, yeah, and your whole life is just sitting there in front of you and, and you know, this not knowing and uh, not knowing also about what you should do with your time. But then also you start looking at what have I actually been spending my time on and how have I squandered that time yeah. and how could I better use that time? And I guess that thinking all started there. But in that moment, I'm only thinking about the fact that I'm not going to be around for my family and friends. I'm not going yeah. to, you know, I'm going to miss all these things in your life. Your mortality, like, yeah. You confront your own mortality. Um, and at I just... At a young age as well. Yeah. I mean, shit. You know, and I, I just took the doctor's advice and it was really interesting that... Because I was actually booking a flight to Europe um, pretty soon as like a reward for all some of my studies. And yeah. the doctor said, it's a good thing you didn't do that because essentially you're a ticking time bomb. Um, yeah, wow. And you would have just drop dead and people wouldn't have like you might have just dropped dead and no one wow. would know why um and in some ways i had a previous shoulder injury where i have a titanium plate in my shoulder but he was very interested in how that might have meant that i presented symptoms earlier and in some weird messed up way my shoulder injury may have saved my life because it yeah. meant that the symptoms presented themselves earlier yeah, wow. anyway i don't know if you need all the gory details but um you know this is an insight and it just kind of spun out from there and then I went into the biopsy and like I'm, a, I'm awake and I'm in this machine and they're jabbing you with needles and oh. putting dyes through you and then they run away in another room that's like, you know, five meters away and they don't even bother to put a lead sheet on you at that point because it's like, oh man, you've got a giant tumor in your chest. This is the least of your worries. Yes. Like, they're just like, yeah, we'll jab it there, we'll jab it there and you're just sitting there and you're just like, you're not, you're not really, like they put a local anesthetic on you but you're just sitting there going, this is the most, this is the strangest thing ever. Yeah. Um, but it just, you know, I remember just, you know, 
crying in the waiting room, not knowing what was going on and then coughing up blood and all this kind of stuff for like weeks. Um, and you know, you have a lot of moments of introspection and you, and you realize how lucky we are in what we have. And then also you, you realize that your time here is quite special and you should probably do something worthwhile with it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and you know, I'm very happy to say that like, I'm obviously on the other end of this now and, and it definitely has given me a new like outlook in life that I probably wouldn't have had if this hadn't happened. But, you know, pretty much after that, I, I, I like to, you know, go to the next step after the biopsy. I went in to see one of the top cardiothoracic surgeons in, in the Southern hemisphere. And, um, I just remember he was two hours late to the meeting mm. And I was there with my parents and um, we were sitting there going, oh, Jesus, you're running this late for everyone else. We got in there. It's very quick, very matter of fact. Yep, you've got this um, tumor. It's about a kilo. It's about this this size. Uh, it's on the left side of your body. I haven't operated on one of these before. I've operated one that's on the right side of the body on a on a uh, on another patient, but it was much smaller. Um, and then he said, yep. Uh, and then I asked him, like, do you have to do any other tests? He's like, no. And I'm like, do you have to do any other scans? He's like, no, it doesn't change the outcome. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And he said, well, I don't really know until I cut you open. Wow. And he said, I'm, I'm probably going to do an incision from the top of your neck down to the bottom of uh, your stomach. I might have to put a uh, T like a cross across your midsection. Um, I might remove one of your lungs. I might wow. remove part of your heart. Um, wow. There's obviously a chance of death. How's Wednesday? Wow. And I'll never forget that. And I was sitting in the room with my mom and dad and I just, I couldn't, I just, I think I was like leaning forward in my chair and like the whole world was just spinning and I had all these questions prepared and it just all kind of went out the window and I kept, I asked him questions and then my mom kind of picked up and then we walked away and I was ready to sign on the dotted line going, okay, it's, I think it was, I can't remember the day it was, I think it was like a Thursday. So this was like, I'm dead next week. Um, and so... I signed the dotted line and I remember I, I actually had like a farewell party like with my friends. And, and the thing is I'd known about this for like months and I was living with it in secret cause I didn't kind of want to bother anyone with it's, it. It's like, well, not um, even that. It's like, it means accepting it, right? That's it. And so, you know, I'd go to parties and I just was like coughing profusely. And I remember someone would be like, Oh Josh, go die over there, man. I don't oh. want, and like, it was just the most, you know, yeah. it just, it is what it is, but like, it still sticks in my head as, as a, as a, like a memory of that time. And yeah. it was almost like I had to come out about this. Um, and so I decided like a celebration was the best way to do it. So I just invited a bunch of my friends over for some drinks at my place. Didn't really tell them why. Mm. Um, I mean, I, most people I called individually and just told them because I didn't want it to be a thing going, Oh, Hey guys, by the way, I got this thing that the doctors don't really know what it is. Um, I don't want to worry people. And that, and that's kind of what you start thinking about when you're in that state is you don't, you don't actually sit there fixating on yourself. You actually fixate on other people and you're actually more worried and concerned about them. Yeah. Um, but my mom was the one that saved my life. She was the one that basically said, um, no, we're going to get a second opinion. We're going to go to someone else. And we did that. And the guy we went with was just, you know, the most amazing scientist I ever could have dreamed of, you know, working with and, and having, operate on me and he you know he did all these extra tests and he you know he was just unbelievable um and I, I don't need to give you all the gory details about that but um basically in that moment you know you start thinking about wow like this is this is the reality for a lot of people out there who weren't as lucky as me and yeah. and, and basically didn't get that second chance and i started thinking about 
what would I do if I was given a second chance? And what would I do with my life differently if, if somehow I got out of this miraculously? Yeah. Um, and this thought was there for ages. Um, I realize I'm spending a lot of time talking about this and not talking about the film. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, should I keep going with this, Gab? Is I this... mean, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I'm enthralled. Yeah? <laughs> In case you can't tell, I'm leaning over the desk like... Okay. All right. Well, and kind of sweating. Well, we can go to part two if you want. Um, <laughs> so part two, you know, uh, I went through with the with the surgery. Um, you know, I said my goodbyes in inverted, inverted uh, commas. I was actually producing a short film at the time, and I was doing a crowdfunding campaign that I gave to my brother to run, um, yeah. my brother Jeremy, who really kindly got me some extra support to finish making this film, which is my thesis film at, at uni at the time. Um, and that was really... That was really hard because I started like releasing all my films online because I was like, you know, I've got to prepare for the fact that, yeah, like I might, I might, this, yeah. might die um, or I might be, you know, who knows. Um, so I was like, look, I'm just going to put everything out there and this film will get made and that that's cool. At least I've, you know, made something and it's out there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I think in that moment I just had all these far off dreams. Like I was just sitting there in the hospital bed going... I just want to be in Europe. I just want to be making films. I just want to be telling stories. Um, I want to be around my friends. I want to see things. I want to do things. And yeah, to be in a situation where you think you might not be able to, it's out of your hands. It's like, a, you can't do anything, but like, yeah. you know, move forward. And, and and comedy became a really important way of like dealing with this. Yeah. As it, and as so it does. Yeah. I just made all kinds of jokes and I, and I, I do like a little stupid web series called public utilities where I review public utilities. Um, and it's really banal and stupid and like unbeknownst to me at the time I was kind of riffing off Tim and Eric. Um, and like in the hospital bed, I started reviewing the hospital bed with my brother, like the day of my, like the day before my surgery, I'm like reviewing a hospital bed and how the bed goes up and down and Is how this actually an episode. It was never released. Can you believe? Um, is it too dark to do that? It's pretty dark. Yeah. Um, but, like, it was also pretty hilarious to me anyway. And it was kind of nice because, you know, I had my brother there motivating me and giving me, like, positive stuff. And, like, um, you know, one of my one of my favorite wrestlers at the time, his, his slogan was, yes, and he puts his hands in the air and says, number one. And so this became, like, a bit of a symbol of, of me in hospital. It was, like, putting my fingers in the air saying, yes, number one. I'm number one. I'm the best. Um. And it just became a way of just getting through it. Yeah. Um, and I just remember waking up from the surgery and, oh I, and, and I'm just sitting there going, oh, my God, pain, I'm alive. Yeah. That was the first thing. And then I looked down and I, I tried to open my shirt and I realized there was no incision. And I was like, oh, the surgery hasn't begun yet. Oh, my gosh. And then I just remember my mom or my great uncle or someone was in the in the ICU with me and they said, no, they went through your back. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I just conked out. So the surgeon, um, you know, moments before the surgery, uh, he decided to go through my back and basically he realized that it was going to be better long-term um, for my, you know, physio and everything. Um, so he was just so forward thinking. Um, but I remember at the time when I was in the ICU, the hospitals were so full and it's really interesting to talk about now at the time, you know, we've got this coronavirus around the world happening yeah. and, um, you know, hospitals are full and they're making makeshift hospitals and people are, who are lucky enough to get a bed can get treated. And there's so many people that don't even get a bed. And I experienced this firsthand. This was six years ago that like in the ward that I was in, they couldn't fit everyone in. So like I was sharing an ICU ward with like heaps of different people. And I just remember each night, like the screams and just there was one guy going, I'm going to die and this and that. And it's like, 
and then the people come in and they clean you because obviously like you're strapped to all these machines you've got a machine in your wrist your hand you know everything yeah. and like you can't move um and the, i just remember there was one moment where this like really big dude um just came in with his mate and they just started washing me oh my gosh and they're just they're just like having a conversation oh what are you doing this weekend tomo oh yeah mate oh, i'm not i'm not quite sure and there was a girl as well and she just came in and she started just like washing my like legs and you know um, they wash your... Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, and this like, guy... Probably? Yeah, or not... No. No? It's just a nah. bit of sponge? Just, just a bit, 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 bit of a loofah action more. <laughs> oh, yeah. God, stop. Um, and you're just sitting there going, am I even like a human? Like, I've got I've got these breathing tubes Welcome on. Welcome to being a model. So, okay, not even... Not even <laughs> not, it's not a comparison. But when you get dressed a lot, often by, like, stylists on TV, yeah. they, don't, they talk around you. Like, yeah, no, no yeah. totally. This is very different, though. I'm not going to make sure... No, it's no, that's are. fine. That's fine. I mean, um, but... Yeah, like I think um, that was just so interesting just to be there as like an object. And I yeah. kind of get it. They're just doing their job and stuff. Um, and that was like just re- – I was just thankful to be there. Like yeah. I was just, you know – and like I had this, you know, pain patch thing strapped to me and like I could just use that whenever I wanted. And I, I was really stubborn and I didn't do it. And then the next day they're like, dude, you should have pressed this like 200 times with the condition you're in. And I can see here you've pressed it like twice or six times or something, um, which was – really stupid and then I didn't do that again um and then they moved me into the um oh like I think the orthopedic ward because they couldn't fit me in the heart and lung ward and so I ended up sharing my room with like a whole assortment of different people I remember one of them was um I think the first gentleman had a shoulder reconstruction and his girlfriend was having a fight with the staff because they wouldn't let her like share the bed with him for recovery and I just remember sitting there going, this is so strange. Oh, because my like, I've been like I've just by hospital staff for sitting on a hospital bed. Yeah, right. It's very real. But it was more that I was just sitting there going, I'm just thankful I got a bed and these people are making, like, such a big fuss yeah. over it. And then eventually me and this gentleman, we, we worked out that we were on the same medication and we started, like, discussing our hallucinations late at night with each other and it became a bit like a game. And you close your eyes in that moment and, like, it feels like an hour's passed, but it's been, like, 10 seconds. Wow. What were you on? Um, fentanyl. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. So that That's was heavy. that was an experience. Um, but the thing is, if you're using it for its prescribed use, it's not as no, glamorous. Of course. Not as glamorous as I don't. Think I, don't it's glamorous I don't even at all. think it is. Gla- yeah. No, that is not a glamorous thing. No. No. no let's let's like... let's bleep all this out, please. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's not discuss drug use. Um, and then the next the next person I had in the hospital um was this man from Polynesia who couldn't speak any um. English and we communicated just with a series of hand gestures about our family and photos and it was just really interesting um just the the breadth of human experience that I kind of saw and then there was another man who had his partner there um and you know he just had a a knee reconstruction but um I mean I'm not sure if it was his husband or a boyfriend but he was very supportive and was there every day and we just had lots of conversations and they saw me wheeling around all my stuff and um it was just so interesting, just like the different types of people I met in a hospital ward mm. and everyone had different life experiences and had different interests and had pursued different passions and things. Um, and this all kind of came to a head when um, I went and got an x-ray in a wheelchair strapped to um, some breathing apparatus one day and then another man was wheeled next to me um, and we looked at each other and it turned out we'd had a very similar operation um, and we agreed to do our physio together and to cut a very long story short, um, I realized um, through a friend of mine who came to visit me that he was actually a lawyer and he was actually the law lecturer of my friend. Oh, wow. And then to put another spin on it, he actually knew my dad. They went to school together. They, they knew each other from like uni days. Yeah. Um, 
And he was also Jewish. Yeah. And this was in a Catholic hospital um, around the time of Passover. Um, and my friend Danny, um, who is also a lawyer and a beautiful friend that I've had Love for Danny. most of my life. Love Danny. Hi, Danny. How are you? He's a lovely South African guy who talks like this. Hi, guys. How are you? He's the happiest man you'll ever meet really, in your life. Truly. You're, but he, he basically said to um, this gentleman, um, I'm going to do a Passover with Josh um, because you, um, he's getting his test results in, in, yeah. in like a week and it would be – and you we, had it in the hospital? Yeah. You had a Seder? Yeah, because we couldn't leave the hospital. Oh, so he was like, do you that. want to join our Seder? And I'll never forget, um, gentlemen, he was very teary-eyed and he said that that would be really beautiful. Um, and then a few nights later, we, we had the Seder and Danny brought, you know, matzah and he, oh. he brought everything and, and we sung these, um, you know, the traditional yeah. Seder songs. And, you know, the gentleman, he he just basically started crying and it was just so emotional for him. And he basically said that he hadn't, um, he hadn't had a Seder since, you know, he couldn't even remember when, and he wow. hadn't been in that much of an observant Jew anymore. Um, it was something he did with his father and it really reminded him, yeah. him of the things he did with his dad. And he said, you know, thank you, Danny and Josh. This is something I'll never forget for the end of my, and, and till the end of my life. Um, we're both getting our test results tomorrow. Um, and we don't know what the world hope holds but you know this is something that i'm never going to forget um and it was a really emotional evening um and the next day you know um i had really good results and it was just the biggest relief that um they did all the biopsies and they found it was all you know benign um and it was just you know the end of a massive journey and um in that moment you're just like what do you what do you do And, and 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 that gentleman, unfortunately, had not the best news, but I believe he made a full recovery and, and is great. now doing great, great things. But the key thing here is that when we were in that Seder, is he told me, he said, Josh, what, what have you been doing? What's been your experience? And I said, well, look, you know, this whole, this whole thing threw everything out of the works. I don't know what I'm doing with my life. I was becoming a solicitor. This all happened. My passion's making films. I've been making films since I'm 13. And he said, well... Josh, I've been, a, I've been a lawyer in private practice. I've been a, a, law, a legal teacher. I've done it all. From hearing you speak, it sounds like this is something you need to do for you. Yeah. And you need to possibly, you know, stop worrying about what other people are telling you to do and just follow your heart. Yeah. Wow. Profound. But also, yeah, sometimes it's important to hear it from other people too, especially someone completely outside of the situation. A hundred percent. And it just gave me clarity in that moment that I was just like, okay, if I get my second chance, I'll finish this thing. And uh, if I can, I'll go to Europe and I'll make the best damn film I fucking can. Yeah. <laughs> and you did. And, it's, and here we are talking about it uh, five years later. Um, and it wasn't that neat, you know, the whole process of, no, I was of getting to that you, point. Like, um, you know, I, I, so, yeah, got I that out of the way. Now, yeah. Got that out of the way. That's the... That's that stuff. That's what led you to making the world's best film. Is, is yeah, yeah, that meandering uh, story. It's an important story, though. So. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. So does does your meeting of these people in in hospital did that influence you making the world's greatest film? Oh, sorry, world's best um, film. I think it was definitely in the background. Um, because I, of I've my seen mind. the film, um, and without like giving too much away, like you do meet with a lot of very interesting people across the world. Yeah, I think. It all started out from just trying to make one of one scene as mm. a test. And I wanted to go back to Sweden because I'd studied there and I'd done an exchange and I had lots of friends there 
and I needed to work out if I was still, you know, I'll rephrase that. I needed to work out if Sweden was still my second home. Yeah. And it was very important to me to do that because when I was told that I might die on Wednesday, I just wondered about that. Like, what would my life be like if I moved there and I met, and I just integrated into that society. Um, so I had this in the back of my head when I started out and I made this first scene called Requires Review, which was about a town planner called Bjorn Lindqvist who literally travels the world putting signs up saying, this piece of architecture or shitty design requires review. Um, and that that's really what got me started with everything. Um, and I started thinking, well, this guy is striving. He's saying that he's the world's best town planner. Who else out there is also the world's best at something? And like, what other weird things are people doing? Like, I didn't even know that town planning was a thing you could do for a living. Um, and I don't think he like even really like, I mean, he does make a living as a town planner and he's a very interesting guy, but I just started thinking, what, what are the things that people are doing out there? Yeah. What, what's the weirdest thing I can find that people are doing and making a living and following their passion and making it work? And it sort of just pieced itself together. And it just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was very methodical with, with who I chose and, and, and how it all, you know, eventuated. Um, but right. it all just started that day. I showed that scene to some colleagues of mine and they said, Josh, you know, you should make this into a feature film. Yeah. And that's what I did. I love that. I love that. So it took that one scene and what turned into a short. Um, could I consider that a short? It was a short. Yeah. The, the short film requires review. Actually, it requires review screened all over the world. It won me a bunch of awards. It. Thank yeah, you. No, big, big fan. Thank you. Know you. I'm a big fan. I have a shirt. Oh, oh, I'm even. I'm sitting here, so I know you're a big fan. <laughs> very true. Very um, true. And you did buy a shirt. That's right. Um, you can. You tell the whole world that you require a review. Yeah, I do require a review. Yeah. You can even tell my psychiatrist would agree. Yeah, it's also in a bunch of different languages. So I kind of like it's also a French one. It says Necessita Inspection. I love that. So people kind of like that. And then in Swedish, Gronsning Efodras. I'm probably pronouncing it very badly. So you guys badly. can actually get a shirt like that on Josh's website. There you go. The world's best film. Dot com. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So you can support Bjorn Lindqvist's movement. And also just, you know, the self awareness that we all kind of require of you. That's it. I think <laughs> it's a healthy thing that, like, and me, myself, like, I'm always striving to be better at whatever I'm doing. And I never sit there saying that I'm an expert or a professional and Absolutely. I know everything. I mean, I've always... talked about this a lot in the podcast, yeah. mastery as being non-destination but a non-going journey. Yeah. yeah. And and you always should have that idea that you're an amateur because mm. you're always inquisitive and you're you not cut learn. off to the world around you. Yeah. And I think I really took that to heart. And I'm always learning from people that I'm making films with or the world around me. Like, just be observant and see yeah. what's happening. Yeah. I love that. Um, and also, again, without giving too much away, so, like, I've seen the film, like I said, um, and at one point it does take quite a personal sort of transition um, into you kind of playing a bit of a central role as well. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah. How did that happen? Because, like, you don't really see it coming. I feel like I'm giving away too many plot points here. That's um, okay. Uh, I think that's fine. I mean, it just – it all happened organically, really, um, and also inorganically. Um, you know, the first step was – I moved to Europe um, in uh, sporadically, on and off, um, you know, and it became more of a situation of, okay, which country can I arrive in and where can I meet people and who can I ask the right questions to? There were moments where I had a job, for example, in Thailand on a TV show and I had a free weekend. Yeah. And I decided, all right, I got a free weekend. I got a whole bunch of inspiration. I got a little bit of money and a camera. 
who can I meet? And I ended up meeting like the world's kindest cab driver, um, Narong Sarat, who has a gift giving cycle in his taxi where uh, someone comes into his taxi, they have a great time, he gives them a tip. Narong goes to the supermarket and buys something, puts it in the taxi for the next guest to take for free. You know, really beautiful. And this is a guy who has nothing, paying giving forward, back yeah. so wow. something else and paying everything forward. And um, it all kind of just grew from there that I just started meeting these people in each country. And I went, wow, I just really want to find more of these people and, and link them together in a way that possibly has never been done before to kind of come to the conclusion that like people across all walks of life are really trying to do the same thing mm -hmm. that we're all struggling to work out what the hell we want to do with our time on this earth if we're lucky enough to think about that and we're lucky enough to have a roof on our head and yeah. clean water and all that stuff um to actually be thinking oh what do i want to do for a living um but i think deeper than that it's 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 about following your heart and your passions and striving to be the best person that you can be and i realized you know that's kind of that's kind of the takeaway from my film and what I learned um, was that, yeah, you just, you kind of just have to try your best. You don't actually need to be necessarily the world's very best at something like not the Guinness world records, number yeah, yeah. one toenail clipper collector. <laughs> like you don't have to do that. You can just be like, Oh, I'm just going to try and collect some toenails and be good. That's a bad, that's a bad example. Best. But try and be the best, it. you know, and you know, my mom always told that to me when I was a kid, um, diverse, I love just, that. you know, and I think I kind of took that to heart. And then, I guess I also thought back to my time in hospital with my brother, you know, with this whole like number one, be the best, you yeah. know, positive thinking. Um, and, but actually doing positive thinking, like I, I can't stand all this, like, oh, you got to be positive and. Sometimes it's okay to not be positive. That's it. Yeah. It's totally That's okay. For you sometimes. Totally okay. My friend Warwick has a brand called Lonely Kids Club and it's completely mental health positive and yeah. he, he actually makes t shirts with me and that was really important We're to me have because. Him on here soon as well. Yeah, we, 100%. We yeah. Um, and that was really important to me to kind of embrace that as well. And so like, you know, there are, there are people in my film that, that have had mental health issues where I've had mental health issues going yeah. through everything I went through. Um, but I think there's something in spending your time on something and making something and putting it out there into the world that can be really healthy and therapeutic. Yeah. It's almost for like me, a, it's also like a human instinct too. It's like a carnal instinct. Carnal's not the right word. That's related to sex. I think. Primal? Primal. There we go. There we go. We got there in the end, everyone. Um, it's a primal <clears throat> instinct almost to like yeah. Yeah, produce, like, yeah, create. Totally. And I think just from observing all these people, I realized that I was more or less the same as the people I was interviewing. That yeah. I was also trying to do something the the best I could. It didn't matter that it wasn't necessarily the very world's best. Yeah. But in striving to be the world's best, you might just make something That's really right. cool. I read um, a really good quote today and I'm going to take a minute to pull it up. Yeah, do it. You took do a minute, it. So I'm taking a minute. I took a minute. Um, it's always important to take a minute. Just take a minute guys. Take a minute out of your day and chill. Um, where is it? I'm, I'm not sure whether I've posted it on Habit of Gab's Instagram or my own Instagram. Is this the whole thing? Like if you want to shoot, for the no, the my brother used to say it to me. Um, don't aim for the stars. To, yeah, my brother said it to me when I was in my yeah. HSC. I used to have it on my wall. Yeah. No, it says uh, proceed as if success is inevitable, um, mm. and I love that because it's like if if you like set out with the idea that I'm going to succeed in your mind, and you or, or like that that it has to be successful for you to have achieved something, then you're kind of mm. doing yourself to fail. It's like that's the wrong mindset. Mm. Just like. Do something because you want to do it yep. and, and strive for your best, and maybe yep. it'll be the best. That's Absolutely, what you said. yeah, yeah 100%. So, you know, my hope is that the people who watch the film, they don't really have to think about their own lives, but I think it'll happen anyway. Um, yeah. Not in a confronting way. I mean, I certainly did. 
Yeah, that, what did you think about when you watched the film? Um, turn it on. Turn the questions on oh Gab. No, <laughs> this is Josh interviewing Gab. <laughs> Having a Josh. Having a Josh. Um, so first, like, okay, so my initial thought was like, are these people real? Like, is this real? Like, wow. You know, because some of the stories are, are interesting and um, you guys will see that. But also it kind of made me like look at myself a bit and, and, and be like, what is like my aim in life? Do I want to like sit in a nine to five and, you know, mm. is it all about earning the money and having the house and doing this and doing that? You know what I mean? Like I, it really made me like question my relationships Mm. my friendships, people that have in my life. I'm not kidding. Like it, it genuinely made me sort of, I guess, be introspective mm. and ma- it made me question a lot of things. And um, I'm not saying that I went out there and went, I'm changing everything, but it made, <laughs> no. me, it made me question things. And yeah, that's wonderful. It's been like a backward thing in my mind of like, am I happy? Mm. Yeah, am I, is what I'm doing rewarding, fulfilling, etc. And maybe inadvertently it sort of led to this podcast because I was kind of always like of the mindset that, in order to be successful, be happy, you need to have like success mm. or it needs to be something that's, you know, making you money or mm. whatever. And this podcast doesn't make me money. It's a hobby. Mm. And um, it kind of maybe set in motion the idea that like not all of your like th- projects or hobbies need to be monetized yeah. and that you can do things just because you enjoy them. 100%. And in the same way that you've met all these interesting people, I really like people. I really like mm. talking to people. Um, you do or you don't. I love it. Yeah. I love to. I feel like that was really clouded. Oh, yeah. I'm talking about I really love talking to people. Um, I hope so. You have a podcast. I know, right? It's like, oh, this is a show. Oh, I, I hate, hate people. Oh, I have to do another podcast. Ugh. Ugh. I like, genuinely love the conversation. I love like knowing how people think, what they're thinking, what they're doing, all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, it, it, yeah, I guess it sort of reshaped that mentality for me that I can do something just because I enjoy it, not because it's going to make me money. You know what I mean? That's awesome. That yeah. literally means the world. That's no, it's that's it, great. The world's yeah. best response. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, we, we'll see how many more of these like we can, ones we can do. Um, but like the whole world's best thing, like I think just to talk about that for a sec, so many brands and companies and uh, use it all the time. Yeah. Try this medicine. It's the world's best cure for whatever. hay fever or whatever. Yeah. And you see, you'll see it on a bus. You'll see it on a book. You'll see. So who who is the arbiter of? Who, who decides right. who what is and who, who is the world's yeah. best? Sam says this to me all the time. Like whenever we see something like that, he's like, "But who said that? Who allowed the like world's best?" They say the it's like, they say it's the world's best. Like that's like my mom. There's always says. a they. She always says they say this. My mom, who's they? Tell me who they is. But the key thing is that you don't worry about they. You worry about you. Yeah, it's true. And the circle around you that care. That's a hundred. And then you support it. those people as well. Yes. And that together you move and you bring each other That's up. That's right. This whole like in- individualized mm. thinking of like, I'm going to go and do this. Like, no, you, you create your tribe around you of people uh, who are yep. in the same mindset. You collaborate mm. and you come up together. I love yep. that because I say it all the time. So I love yep. hearing you say that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I always say to people like your vibe attracts your tribe. And I, I'm pretty <laughs> That's sure, really nice. I haven't heard that I'm one. I'm pretty sure I stole it from somewhere. <laughs> I can't take ownership for that one. Um, it's definitely from an Instagram post. A hundred percent. Hey, we live on Instagram. I'm like, mm. could you expect anything less? But, um, I like strongly believe that and I'm fortunate enough to have friends around me who just like you are like you know in similar industries and we all can kind of collaborate and work together and like you said rise yeah mm. yeah if it's, it's a better way of doing things Aww. you can't do it alone feeling good now yay I'm rising up together loves it Woo. um all right sort of transition a little bit mm-hmm. um and I I'm gonna be honest the first time I wrote your podcast questions out um, you saw them didn't you I think so it was like they back in like, like December 
like five January. pages of me getting so philosophical on like concepts of film. Oh, and, that's like, a separate. Podcast, it was it man. was intense, and I was like, "This is too intense. It's gonna be a five hour conversation, and you'll probably be sweating by the end of it, and I'll be sweating, and we'd be both." You Don't know, need dismissed. to go to the gym. That's all right. Literally, um, but I'm, I'm kind of like create this question in keeping in mind all these things I wanted to ask, but like doing it in a bit more of a surface level way. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you navigate your moral compass in mm-hmm. like in situate the situations you've put yourself in and in interviewing yep. these people and even the situation you put yourself in mm. by turning it into like a very personal, <laughs> very personal lean in the film later on. Um, how did you unbiasedly show two points of view as well as like mm-hmm. individual points of view? And, and did you struggle with doing that? I think, the very nature of making a film and then to put another label on it as a documentary by and large will have ethical dilemmas. Yeah. I think like Werner Herzog, you know, famous German filmmaker has this thing that he says that we should be very cautious with the term documentary um, because it does have a lot of underpinnings of, you know, um, should, should the should the filmmaker have done this? Why are they doing this? Yeah. And it nowadays is a big intersection with journalism. And yes, like, like this is this is the like, yeah. this is, I mean, this is what I wanted to get into yeah. in the original mm. questions. But again, like I said, take way too long. Um, yeah, yeah. When you hear documentary, a lot of people who don't know much about film and aren't well versed in it immediately think fact. You know what I mean? Um, whereas bias obviously comes into it. Mm. So I mean, you look at the history of documentary films. They started out with filmmakers like Robert Flaherty making um, um, Mona and, and uh, Nanaka the North. And um, these were all staged. Um, these films were not true, yeah, right. you know, in that way that we look at them. And that's well documented. And then you look at the other documentary films out there. Um, like you know, Louis Thoreau. Yeah. Like, and, he, you know, he's, he calls himself a journalist before a filmmaker, um, and you know, obviously these films are framed in a way to make you believe that everything is unfettered and, yeah. and, and real, but the reality is these films are researched, yeah, they're absolutely. produced, they find good talent, they spend, they have a team that does that. They have a team that edits it in a way that you watch it and it's absorbable and it's a win for the advertisers because, Hey, you binge watch the whole show. Yeah. Um, you know, that's great. But I think, you know, to talk about Louis, that's a separate thing, but I mean, he's someone that, you know, comes from this standpoint of active humanism. Yeah to kind of find a baseline of, you know, inspecting people that are doing kind of unethical things um, in a lot of the films he makes. Um, for example, the film he made about the Nazis. Yes. Um, the Westboro Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, all these kind of films, you know, they're, they're all that. And I think he navigates his moral compass um, from coming from a standpoint of I'm a humanist trying to understand this on a human level mm-hmm. and I'm not passing judgment on what these people are doing, but inevitably there is an invitation to the audience themselves to pass a judgment yes. on what they're watching. Um, so it's this whole idea of, you know, looking, punching low or uh, punching up, I think is the saying. And I think a lot of the times when I watch films like that, I have the view that they're kind of punching low on people that are a little bit uneducated. Yes. And a lot of the films that I've tried to make, I've tried to involve my collaborators in the telling of their stories as much as possible to the point of, you know, I won't just roll 10 hours of footage and, and be an observational fly on the wall because yeah. I've done that. And there are scenes in the film where I did do that out of necessity because I didn't speak the language. Of when I was in Thailand, I didn't know what the hell was going on. And I had to make decisions based on instinct and emotion alone and what my translator could and couldn't tell me what was yeah. happening. There were moments where Narong was speaking for about, 20 minutes and then I'd pause and talk to the translator 
a lovely man by the name of Bank, okay, Bank, what did we just talk about? And Bank would, would tell me, oh, we're just talking about his family. Yeah, right. And I'd say, okay, well, he was speaking for 20 minutes. It's what did he say that. about yeah. the family? And then months later, I got the transcript and I found out that Narong, this very lovely man in front of me, had this whole other family that, wow. that I didn't know about in, during the filming. And yeah. I was sitting there going, oh, well, this would have been great to, to, to know about. But also ethically, it's like, do we go there? Do we talk about this, this, mm-hmm. this kid that, you know, we haven't shown? Um, and I think, you know, out of res- he, he told it to, to us. And um, I think out of necessity to, for him to, to kind of get his story told, we decided to leave it in the scene. Um, because the, the result of what Narong is doing is he's trying to support his, his kids. He's actually sending child support and all this kind of stuff. Um, so as a filmmaker, you're often confronted with these, you know, ethical situations. Um, the situation of having myself in the film, I realized was a necessity in that when I was shopping the, the film around without my scenes in it, um, the, 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 it was around the time Anthony Bourdain passed away. Um, I'm not comparing myself to Anthony Bourdain. Um, <laughs> but everyone I kept showing, stuff too was like you know what's you know what's missing josh you, you need a host he needs to have a host he needs to have someone in there just telling it like it is you know it's not, not a game show but it could be a game show which friend is this it's not a friend this <laughs> is kidding, just man. these are just like it's the you voice. know I'm here in, for the voice. you know i don't even know if they sounded like that but i imagine them with cigars always yeah. um yeah they, and they just kept saying this i kept thinking okay yep you know there's something in that and, I, and it had been on my mind for years as well that and i'd been documenting some of it um, and I realized that I needed to be a top level character in, in the film, which basically means I, the film needed a host. Yeah. Um, better than you. Yeah. And that also happened, you know, quite organically in the post-production process, which often happens in editing. You know, Werner talks a lot about how, you know, he'll, he'll narrate his films and he'll just chime in when he thinks he needs to, um, to, to kind of say what he wants. And, and for those people listening, um, I guess Werner was a big inspiration in making the film, um, because he's all about this whole idea of, um, manipulating and restaging reality to make to evoke a more true version of reality or what he calls an ecstatic truth. Now, you can read up quite a lot about the ecstatic yeah. truth. And at the moment, I'm in the middle of trying to articulate, you know, how do you create one and what does it mean for an audience? And if you've done it correctly, the audience do react ecstatically and they start, they sit there and they, they say, what am I watching? This can't be real. Should the filmmaker have done this? And they start to, you know... Basically, by manipulating reality, you illuminate something, a deeper strata of truth in in Werner's words, um, that wouldn't otherwise be there if you were just an accountant or a journalist just, you know, filming it as it happened. Um, yeah. Werner, Werner says, if you, if, you want, if you like facts, read the phone book. You'll never find a more factual piece yeah, of information that. and it's, it's true. And that, so yeah. filmmaking is this intersection of, you know, um, visual design it's an intersection of just so many different elements such as poetry it's yeah. not just facts no, if you if you right. if you made a documentary that was just facts it it in my opinion it wouldn't be that engaging and no. it wouldn't be as entertaining but i do watch those films in the same way like i will watch a film like apollo 11 the new found footage um not found footage but archive based uh retelling of the the moon landing and it's stunning yeah. it's amazing but they've they've reshaped that, that footage they've Absolutely. made decisions in the editing process that well, like they're condensing 11 uh, what is it 11 days of, of the moon landing into like you know an hour and a half yeah. i mean that's that's got its own ethical framework filmmaking needs to be looked at in the same way we look at art i mean like what you're talking about, the ecstatic truth it's like the art moment mm. call it you know that moment where you get like that 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 feeling in your stomach, mm. like, oh my god, like yeah. goosebumps, hairs like raising totally. up. And, and that's like I've always seen film as a form of art, same as literature, 
a new thing in these creative fields as, as meant, they're meant to evoke an emotion out of you, right? Mm. And if it hasn't done that, then it's failed to do what it's supposed mm. to do as art. Um, and I think the misconception all people have is that film is not art, that, mm. that movies sit in a different sphere of entertainment. But I don't see it like that. You know? It depends who you talk to. It depends what genre of film yeah. you're making. It depends what your audi- who your audience yeah. is. And the thing that I realized in my film was that I can make the film for me as a filmmaker and I can make it for me as a person. Yeah. And the balancing act of that I found the most tumultuous because mm. there were decisions I really wanted to make as a filmmaker, but as a person, I couldn't live with myself. Yeah, right. Because some of the things I filmed in my personal life affected other people. Yeah. And I realized that showing those things might bring those people into disregard. Of course. Um, because you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where the film's going to go. And there's a lot of films out there at the moment that have crossed this bridge um, without naming which films. Um, And I watched those films, and I'm deeply torn as to the decisions those filmmakers have made about this intersection of your personal life with your filmmaking life. Um, and ultimately it's only through test screening your films that you're going to work that out. Mm. Um, and you have to, again, it's a balancing act of, you know, who are the people watching the film? How am I using their feedback? What's important to me? What can I live with as a filmmaker and a person? And it is hard. I mean, I only decided to use all this footage of my life when I opened a cupboard in January last year and I found all these tapes that my dad had. And I was like, dad, what are these? He's like, I don't know. Oh, I guess it's you as a baby. And I'm like, you've never digitized these? He's like, oh, no. And I was like, okay, maybe we should do that. And so it was just this unbelievable moment of life imitating art because there was stuff in that footage of me as a child that directly related with the scenes I'd already filmed. Yeah, wow. For example, I'm obsessed with – I have been historically obsessed with puppets – and puppeteering and the works of Jan Svankmeyer, a famous Czech filmmaker who did all these amazing stop motion films, um, like the retelling of Alice in Wonderland. Um, and because of that, I, over a number of years, sought out one of the world's best puppeteers, a lady by the name is Maddie Slabaku. Yeah, um, she's in the film. She's yeah. in the film. Um, and she was actually, at one stage, my puppeteering mentor. And the craziest thing is we filmed this scene with Maddie talking about her life as a puppeteer in Romania and Australia. And we filmed with this um, Jack puppet from um, Jack and the um, Beanstalk, I think. Um, And then I found this footage of me as a kid playing with the exact same puppet. What? Kismet. Thanks. Yeah, it was just like the most synchronicity wow. kind of. It was just the, You're on the right path. It's it was signed. just the strangest thing. Yeah. And there were so many little things like that in the yeah. footage that wow. when I was looking through it, you know, maybe it is synchronicity that I'm looking for the comparisons. But Who they were, they were, it was stranger than fiction. Strange, it, it was yeah. stranger than fiction. And I decided that all this stuff needed to go in there. I needed to, because I ummed it out about it for years. How personal do I make this thing? Do I go into my illness? Do I go into all these reasons? And I realized that the context really makes, you know, for all you film nerds out there, it kind of, it really shapes the way the audience Uh receives it. And I decided that for the film to really resonate in the right way, it would, it, it kind of necessary to hear from me. And you can't always be in this situation of, I'm going to make my documentary as thus. I'm going to have just the person in front of the camera telling their story and that's it. 
because sometimes th that's not what the film needs and you actually have to be in a situation where you're letting the film tell you what it needs yeah. and you have to be receptive to that and actually there were moments where I would stop editing for months I would I would leave the project for three months six months there was a there was a point when I left it for about five months yeah um and I came back with fresh eyes and it was the best thing I ever did because yeah. I then I went through all my work. And it's the same if you're a photographer or a designer or an artist, artist you, academic, you get anything. fresh eyes yeah. and you come back to it and you're like, Oh, what, why did what I do was that? I what, was I, what was I thinking? Um, and I did that process a lot. And, yeah. and, and I think I had the luxury of doing that as well because I didn't go through formal funding bodies and channels. And yeah. I, I made sure I did it on my own time because ultimately, you know, it's quite a personal film. Um, and I won't lie that it, it didn't start out that way. Yeah. It, it became that because the film told me it needed it. It needed yeah. to be that. Um, and then as a filmmaker and as a person, you've got to be comfortable then releasing that film and now it's separate from you. Yeah. Um, and the same way that when you make an artwork, it's on the wall now, people can buy it and put it in their living room. Yeah, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And the film doesn't actually exist until it's been seen. Yeah. Which is same a... Same with that, I agree. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, to go back to your comparison there, I think that's like totally right. Yeah. Um, wow. Interesting. Interesting. I love that. So, um, moving on from that, I guess that was to sum up the nice moral compass question. It's sort of like, yeah, I hope that answered it, it, the moral compass. It's, it's like a bit of an ethical debate. I mean, yeah. Tom and I tell long winded stories. Yeah. And, uh, you are on there with me. Yeah. I'm very um, long winded. It's okay. So am I. I mean, we're both yeah. in academia. What, mm. what can you expect? Yep. It's, it's what we do for not a living, but it's part of our, part of our job. Mm. Um, never apologize for that. Um, I won't. <laughs> Um, so how, I mean, let's cut this one short, but how did you, what was it about filmmaking that made you want to do it even to begin with? Because I talk a lot with my, my, like, my, my, I get a lot of, I guess a lot of my guests are like creatives yeah. in creative yeah. fields. And I always find, I've said this before, it's quite a noble pursuit because in the same way that you said, I've been raised to like put money on, put food on the table, put money in your wallet, et cetera, et cetera. I was raised the same. Mm. And pursuing something creative is always something a bit more risky and, you know, I have a backup plan as a master's degree. You have a backup plan as well. You've got a law degree. You know, there's, there's always that out if something were to go wrong. Um, what was it? I mean, obviously we know how you got there now, but to begin with, obviously you had an interest in film. Like, you know, what, what was, how did that start? Yeah. Acting was actually my first, like, favorite thing. And, like, for as long as I could remember as a kid, like, I think I only realized at about 12, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be an actor and I'm going to mm. go to auditions and I'm going to do readings and... As I did all those things, I did some readings for a few films, um, but then the film pre-production went so long that I ended up becoming too old for the parts and I didn't get them. So they kept slipping through my fingers and I kept losing all these opportunities. And I said, what if I just make give myself the opportunity? Yeah. And then I ended up focusing less on acting and more about becoming a filmmaker. Right. And I think it all started because I did visual arts and the HSC. This is going back. Um, and, you know, I made a film about, um, you know, Oh, it's pretty dark, but it's about the feelings of being in a concentration camp. Yeah. Um, and it just sent me on this journey of looking at inspiration from a lot of modern art, like Francis Bacon and mm. Francis Bacabia and all these kind of guys were big inspirations to me visually because I was looking at the way um, you can intersect matte paintings on top of each other. And then I started just seeing the potential for film to just be this moving image and moving artwork that you couldn't do in just like a painting or something else. And it also just meant that, you know, I'm quite in my head a lot of the time. So I was like, how can I deal with all these like deep conceptual ideas? Oh, I can tell a story about it or I can, you know, make something that otherwise wouldn't exist if it was just a still image. Yeah. Um, and I think I just, I think I just had this fire burning from within me and, and, 
and I, I can't explain it. It's just like a, it's this, this, this thing that you're always trying to attain. You're like, oh, it's just over there. That, that new sexy idea that's in my head that I have to go make. I don't know why I just have to do it. That's passion, and, man. That's and it's passion. just, you just, you just have this thing inside you yeah. that's like, I can't, even now, you know, um, I finished this film, but I'm like, I, I need to go make the next thing. It's just over there. I've got it in my head. It's, it's there in the same way that I had five years ago. And I think you're always chasing this thing. And it's this whole idea of, you know, transient happiness and, and more permanent happiness. And I think what I've realized now is the process of making something is more important than the finished result. That's the first thing. Yeah. And the second thing is you can actually get so much happiness and enjoyment from the act of making, the act of doing and being in a state of flow. Yeah. It's addictive. It is. Um, it is. And, and I think I got addicted to that that thrill um, of making something that didn't exist before. Um, and it's also just being able to just firmly plant your something yeah. on the world. And in, in, in even if only a few people see it, you might change someone's outlook on something. You might change someone's view on something. I love and I think so film really more than a lot of other mediums has the potential for yeah, change and has the potential to show people things that they otherwise might not see. You think back to the days of like the kaleidoscope vision that people had in like the very the early, early start of the 20th century. That was the first way that people saw a lot of cultures. They mm. saw like images of Africa and India and stuff. And they'd never seen that before. Well, visual when, is such an, an, it's a much easier medium to digest than reading. And also it's more accessible. Yeah, and it's a very young medium as well. Mm. Like the history of film is quite young when you consider how long the craft of painting has very been around. True. People haven't been making films for that long. Um, so there's still a lot more left to say to and, conquer, med- yeah. and meditate upon. So it's really exciting actually. Yeah. That's why I don't really agree with everyone's like, oh, it's been done. That's been done. It's like, no, it hasn't. My my version of it hasn't been That's done. Right. My, what I have to say hasn't been said. And I think that that goes for a lot of art making and, and you're always going to be told no. Yes. And I think I've begun to be fueled by the power of rejection. No, that's the best way of looking at <laughs> and, it. Yeah. And just going, okay, they're going to say no, but, you know, eventually something's going to come from this. Someone will say yes. Yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Amazing. I love so that. So in, in short, yeah. No, like passion, positive, passion, positive, product, plan, perform, create. (laughs) We could just make an Instagram post now. We should just be Instagram posts generating from everything we're Literally, saying. Because yes, we're yeah. saying so many like fancy buzzword I inspirational know, I stuff. Know. Oh my god, guys, go to We, we totally do not have a buzzword generator in front of us right now, I promise. <sighs> I should get one. I feel That's like I a great idea. I like, should definitely get one. Um, all right, so what about some misconceptions about being a filmmaker that you'd like to clear up? Oh, misconceptions. Oh, I mean. Definitely whenever I go to like a family dinner, there's some like distant cousin who's like, oh, how does that put bread on the table? Oh, God, and I have always. to sit there going, oh, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm actually working like seven days a week and I had to take off work to be here and actually got someone covering my shift. And just sorry, I'm actually just getting a phone call right now. But just be right back. Sorry. Yeah. This is I, the thing. Like, I don't want to say we work harder, but we work longer hours than other, really other jobs. You work kind of around the clock. Like, yeah. look, what's like 9, 11 p.m. right now? Yeah, and people definitely have a misconception that filmmakers are bums. Any, any creative profession, but we're, we're socialized that way. We're told that, that yeah. like this tortured artist who does nothing. It's mm. like, even Sam said to me, You work more hours than I do. Yeah. Like, you work so much more than I do. Um, and you're paid less. <laughs> no, yeah. but like, it's not what he meant. But like, yeah, like, we kind of work around the clock. I think it depends where you are in the world as well. Like, the one thing I'll say, which I, I, I do get quite sad about this because 
I also don't want to believe it fully, but a lot of people tell me, you know, oh, people in Australia don't watch films. I'm like, I feel like they do, but just in very select, you know, places. Yeah. And you've got to know your audience demographic. And I guess the difference is that, like, filmmakers in Australia will really have a big passion for films because, like, they're really going against the timeline and, and, and the yeah. curve of everyone else going, you know, saying I'm, I'm going this completely other disparate path. But if you go to somewhere like, you know, um, like some like Romania, mm. you know, um, where I spent a bit of time, everyone's just passionate there. They don't like, no one has much money, but they're like, they trade on arts and culture and they think it's like, they, they really believe it's noble to, to be yeah, in the arts yeah. and have something to say. And, and the other difference is people over there will see films who aren't film. Like they're not themselves filmmakers. They'll be an engineer or a carpenter or something. They'll go see a film and, and be able to talk about it. Um, yeah. and, and, and they'll be a bit knowledgeable at the world around them in that way. Whereas I found we're stuck in the Western machine, aren't we? A little bit. I, I mean, it I really depends on where you are. And I think the misconceptions will change based on, on where you are and what you're doing and who you are as well. Mm. I think who you are has become much more important than what you're making now. Um, and I really wrestle with that a lot. Um, and I think that also changes based on where you are in the world without saying too much about that. Yeah. Love that. Um, all right. Well, where and when is it launching and how can our listeners watch so it? So stay tuned. I've, there's rumblings, rumblings, rumblings about a screening in Hollywood in June. Um, I will be there. Oh my God. Well, if something's, ha- something's, rum- this if is like rumbling, on the, this is on the DL though. I am so. your plus one. Yeah. Woo. Look at that. Um, but yeah, stay tuned. We're hoping to have, well, we are going to have screenings um, across the world in all the places we filmed in. Um, and obviously some screenings in Australia, but there's also like this other thing that I didn't. Well, I yeah, just I won't ask you. Is there anything like that you need? Like, anything desperately you want our listeners um, to know or me to know? I've been looking uh, forward to this. Well, the first thing I didn't say is like obviously keep updated on the. Yes, keep oh, up we'll do that at the end. We'll do that at the yeah. end. We'll have a little link. Yeah. Um, so Josh but, has so, been telling me. Okay, I've got to give you some. You get some background here, to this because I've just like gone out and been like, "Hi, what do you want to tell me?" Um, so Josh, we've been playing this podcast for a while. Um, Josh is really busy, so am I. So it's, like, taken a while, like I said before. But he also said to me, I've got some big news to tell you, but I, w- I want to tell you on the podcast. So I have been dying this whole time for this news. Please tell me. Wow. It's like, <laughs> it's like no pressure. No pressure. I bet you're going to be like, oh, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I, like, I don't know what to do now. I, do, you, do you know? Do you not know? Cause, like, you have not told me anything. I haven't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like waiting, bated okay. like, breath. Like, come on, tell me. All right. Me. Well, um, so you know You're how I'm like. Yeah, I'm married. Wow. No, that's no. not. <laughs> that's an anticlimax. That's a yeah. So you know, in like January, I think I told you. I think it was actually in, only in. Oh my god, when was this? It was in January. I was applying for this thing overseas, yes. run by a certain someone, and then like February 14th on Valentine's Day, got an email that. I got accepted into a filmmaking accelerator in the Colombian jungle run by Werner Herzog. Oh. Yeah. You got it? Yeah, I'm gone. Oh, my God. Yeah. Marcel, firstly. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. Insane. I was just like, what? That's better than being married. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's nice. Oh, my Um, God. Yeah. I was just like speechless for like days. Thank you. Um, It was just kind of like wild oh um, i'm so excited for yeah you. so basically yeah i'm going with 49 other filmmakers from around the world we each get to make a short film under Werner herzog's oh, like advice my god <laughs> yeah and like for those that don't know obviously Werner is famous for 
convincing a whole film crew to haul a like 200 ton steamship over a mountain during the filming of Fitzcarraldo <laughs> in like, you know, um, not a dissimilar jungle than the one we will be in. Um, so there's been a lot of talk uh, around, you know, my mind going like, are we just hauling another we, ship over a mountain? Are we just being like, yeah, is, is this what's going to happen? <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I'm like beyond excited about oh, it. And leave? I leave on the 21st of April. Oh my gosh. So it's like really soon and like everything's booked and paid for and like, yeah, it's kind of insane. Um, but yeah, the opportunity to obviously work with someone who inspires, has inspired a lot of my work for a while, um, is amazing. Um, Werner also like, um, ran the, he's, he's run a bunch of these kind of like film schools over, mm. over the years. Like one of them is called the Rogue Film School, which some people might know about. It, um, yeah. and basically, you know, Werner over like a, a number of days teaches you things like, you know, how to pick a lock. How to for how to forge a signature, you know, things that are rogue about making a film, and basically his methodology. <laughs> so it's pretty out there. Um, and what I guess, yeah, I know. So he's done one of these before in like Peru, um, I think. You should do a documentary and, on the experience. Well, I'm definitely gonna do like a video diary, hopefully. Please, um, yes. Yeah, and make an Instagram uh, page. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think there's gonna. Enough. I don't think there's gonna be any internet out there. No, no, there won't um, be. But I'm just like super excited because we've been told not to come with any preconceived notions of anything. Like we've been told you can't have a script, you can't do this, like just be there and yeah. he gives Experience you a theme it. and you just like make something. Yeah, wow. No idea what that is yet. Um, so pretty exciting, pretty oh, wild. Um, I was like speechless for a good few days and I didn't know like, do I do it? This is insane. I, I had, oh my God. How did you not just scream it at me? I kind of almost did. I know you did. You were like, do you want to wait? And I was like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, I did call you like, I think the day after going, oh my God, I have news. You did. And, and I was like, tell me. Like, and no, I was like, no, I feel like, podcast. yeah, I feel like, yeah. Are you glad that we waited? I, I am so <laughs> glad, but like, I'm also such an impatient person. Like, I know. But that was, this was hard for me. So you, I enacted some serious self-control. So thank you for enabling That's all right. me to do that. Yeah. But that is massive. I'm so proud. And, and thank like, you. Yeah. Ugh. 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 For real, that's amazing. Oh, I'm yeah. so excited for you, and I can't wait to see the outcome of it, as well as hearing about the experience. We'll Me have too. you on the podcast to talk about the experience. Yeah, there'll be, like, a debrief after. Literally, please. Yeah. I want to hear all the long-winded stories. I know. <laughs> Seriously, it'll be a 10-hour podcast. Whoop. Look forward to that. Um, wow, is there anything else? I mean, that's such big news. I, can't, I don't know how to finish this now. <laughs> Is well, there anything uh, else you want to say before oh, we man. check out? Um, thanks for listening to, to me meander. No, I, and, I've um, thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm yeah. sure everyone else will too. Yeah. I always do. Um, I'm surprised it's actually not 3am at this point. Yeah, we've done well. Because well. usually we like... This and you is haven't like, vomited either. No, I've been thinking the whole time that I was just going to vomit in the middle. Like yeah. projectile vomit. And I actually have a bucket next to yes, me right now. Yes, a bucket. Yeah, um, yeah so it's this is... where I cook my rice in. It's, so um, um, that was brave of me. That's the... That's the sound of the bucket for the people that don't, don't believe, believe us. us. Yeah, it's it's due to the headache, guys. Ooh. It's nothing other than that. Two point seven five liter rice cooker. Well, wow. I was prepared for you to be vomiting quite a bit. Sounds like you were prepared to make me Asian food. Well, yes, in your vomit, in your bile. Nice. I've got to cook the rice in it. Oh, great! That's so disgusting. Gross. What's wrong with me? Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, if people want to yeah, stay updated, do, plug. Um, do the little plug. This is the plug. Plug warning. Uh, I don't know. A couple of I just did that. I love it. I don't think I can actually make the plug now. Um, um, so I'm not editing that out by the way that's staying yeah all right great <laughs> nice continue continue uh one. yeah head to uh i'm gonna do that again head to the world's best film.com uh for all things the world's best film and we're also on the instagrams at the world's best film 
And if you want to follow my filmmaking journey, see some crazy Colombian jungle adventures, go to at fine silver media. That's like fine as in you're so fine. And then silver, like the jewelry and the media, like the media easy to remember, right? Love it. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, guys. So go check that out for sure. Like subscribe and follow Welcome to our channel. Um, that's a joke. You can't actually do that with a podcast. You can leave me a review though. And I feel like Josh warranted a five out of five. Oh, thanks. Five stars, guys. World's best. Number one, world's best podcast. Um, (laughs) Thank you, babe. Thank you. Thank you, Gab. You're awesome. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for hanging out. It's been great. And um, we'll see you next time.